Welcome to Vaguely Music. I am Kelsey Jacobson. And I'm Ryan Strumpfler. And we are happy to have you join us for our second to last episode of season one. I think they call that, what is it, penultimate? Is the it the pen- penultimate? Yeah, uh, I think so. Mm. If we're wrong, thank you for listening. Please send us a message. We enjoy <laughs> Please all voice your complaints. Yeah. Send to 549 American <laughs> Legion Highway. Um, no, we are happy to have our last episode actually as just our duo. Yeah. Um, we're going to be closing out with a guest, so that's kind of exciting. Um, but we, uh, we've we enjoyed our season thus far, and this we figured today we'd make it a little lighthearted. Yep. A lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of middles. That is how things are, and this was one of them. Um, so we wanted to... <laughs> we've been talking a lot about the business side, the personal side, but we have a whole brand new topic for you, which is music actually talking about music uh, talking a little bit about what we enjoy what artists we enjoy and why we enjoy them too and why we don't like certain things we don't really know where this discussion is going to go whether or not we're going to go into a deep dive into robert plant's lyrics we might this is usually how these circular we're conversations start questioning like the origins of our career choices like yep. oh that was the moment yeah, so we, we've covered a lot of things on the working world in the present and the future, but we don't talk a lot about the outside, what made us, like, beyond what made us pick up the instrument, but what we listened to along the way and what we enjoyed. So, here we go. So, what got, what, what was, like, the first musical introduction for you? Okay, the first serious musical introduction, because I've talked about my Vengo Boys past. The first serious introduction was I was... Um, I had an acoustic guitar and I liked music, but I was like doing a lot of graphic design for video games at that point. So I was pretty sure I was going to be an illustrator or a graphic designer or working in animation for a long time in my life. Um, and I, you know, I, I liked some music, but I didn't listen to a lot of music. I listened to what my brother had, which was a lot of early 2000s hip hop, a lot. Like in my fifth grade yearbook, 99 Problems is listed as my favorite song. Nice. So, very. It's a classic. Yeah, not befitting of a fifth grader. It's like you don't have any problems. Um, Valid. Well, if you're if you're fortunate, if you're a fortunate yes. fifth grader, yes. Which I was. I mean, my family, like uh, you know, uh, they were able to like feed me and drive me to school, and uh, I yeah, I just was you know I was in fifth grade, so the biggest problem was deodorant for me. Um, but I remember being like eight or ninth grade. And um, this was after I formed my first band that I've talked about and didn't really do anything. I was in a basement with my with my closest friend at the time. Now, I grew up here uh, in Massachusetts, then lived in the Netherlands, then flew to California, then moved back here within like eight or nine years. And this was the only guy I knew before I moved. So this was like a, like a family friend long term. Yeah. And we were sitting in his basement and he had Led Zeppelin, How the, Be- How the West Was Won. And it's a live DVD concert, a bunch of footage from like 72, 75, 77, a lot of stuff that hadn't been released. Because uh, Zeppelin, if you haven't noticed, every 20 years they put out a whole bunch of stuff to stay relevant to people. Yeah. They'll like remaster their catalog, like put out like demos, live stuff. Yep. Um, and this was one of them. It was like 2004, 2005. 
and there was a concert. It was 1970 at the Royal Albert Hall right after Zeppelin II. And they played the song, We're Gonna Groove, and then went into their version of I Can't Quit You Baby. And uh, I just remember Jimmy Page coming in with that. And just like doing these bends and the whole band just dropping down and just looking and just be like, oh, that's what I want to do. Like it was like so obvious, so obvious. So live Led Zeppelin was my first like real love of a band. That was like the one I became obsessed with. So that was like. interesting. Yeah. And I loved the studio stuff, but there's something about like. Led Zeppelin live mm-hmm. where they would I've always been big on improvisation making stuff up I really really enjoyed it and the later stuff for Zeppelin is more through arranged whereas the earlier stuff it just sounds like they put them in a room and they gave them a small sketchwork yeah. of a song and they were yeah. like all right make it happen yeah which is really cool both are really cool but I gravitated towards that early stuff and then live, they would take the songs that were already composed and stretch them like crazy. And I was like, this is so cool. Like, these are different solos. You know, when now I look at them like, oh, well, it's this harmony now. And that's really cool because they did this and they put. But back in the day, I was like, this is a brand new Jimmy Page solo I've never heard. Yep. This is a brand new like section that wasn't in the recording. Robert Plant put new lyrics there. Like, yeah. that was all so cool. So yep. Live Led Zeppelin was like the first real dive in. Well, so... I feel uh, I was so drenched in music even when I was little just from mom performing all the time and um, being because of her and my father who did sound and and at the time he was still doing a fair amount of sound locally for for festivals that they had locally and just what I was surrounded by I felt like was all over the map. But one of the things that was very consistent and I think very influential, and I don't know if it influ- it might be, hmm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I used to go see live Celtic folk music all the time. Um, and people would go on tour and they'd be coming through the areas. And, and these are the kind of groups that it's like, you know, no one's rocking this on mainstream radio I don't care what you're listening to but um so they would be playing like little town hall shows and church shows and this kind of show or like very very um uh limited festivals that is still like it's a very niche audience but the nice thing about it was the looseness not just not so much of the people on stage, although a little bit of, of the performers, but their relationship with the audience. And I feel like that really influenced how I see um, and how I see my relationship to the audience, if you know what I mean. So yeah. I've never been weird about cracking casual jokes or almost giving too much information to my audience of like, oh, wow, that's borderline uncomfortable. And then it's like, right, but that's also part of the charm of how you connect to other human beings and they were so good about that even a lot of the bands were instrumental just folk celtic instrumental music and then 
what they would do is they would preface each song that they played by a story. What was the inspiration behind it? Or if it wasn't an original, but it was their interpretation of an old traditional, you know, what is the story behind the old traditional or what is it what is its role in the culture that it came from and that like hold on I'm going to talk to you and have a conversation with you as if you're sitting up on stage with me I think was highly impactful of of then everything else that I've started doing after that and it made some stuff like after that I start I, I was very much involved in theater and I think theater can be weird because a lot of that is the separation yeah. between the audience well, and being to, on stage. You need to sell the idea that you're not something. Right. And with the, and so there's a, an interpretation of the information that you're given and you try to withhold everything that's not that information. Right. right. And it was, I mean, it was fun, but it was also like, oh, this is, this is weird and uncomfortable. Like there's a bunch of people obviously sitting right there watching me and I have to pretend like I can't even look or interact with them 90% of the time, which was a weird jump to make. So talking about performing too, well, generally in the topic of music, my first handful of performances musically, I don't really, I never really got nervous until I started having to sing at gigs. That was like the deal breaker because I was like, what am I nervous about? Like my, my heroes played, like my musical heroes all played guitar. Like yeah. I'm like them. Like I got a bunch of adrenaline rush, you know, and I was like excited, but nervous about being able to do it or what, like that wasn't a thing until I started singing at gigs. Then it's like, well, this isn't my natural thing and it's uncomfortable and that's why it's good. You grow being nervous is always nice. But that period where I was like starting to perform at 13, 14 in, in public. Well, that's a like, weird age too, as a guy, if you're singing. Yeah. Because you're, I don't, your voice is not always fully stable yet at that point. No, rest in peace. Some of our singers and back in elementary and middle school, <laughs> or, or mostly middle, mostly high school. But not it makes elementary you school. look back at them and go, wow, you had some serious courage. Yeah. Serious courage to not practice a day in your life and get up there and sing. It takes guts. Hey, I mean, I think that's, you know, more guts than not getting up and singing at all. That's true. I mean, so so that was like the period I was real big into um, Led Zeppelin. Not into any of like the other classic rock bands, though. I liked some I of that. I didn't do classic rock. I didn't discover classic rock, I think. So I don't like a lot of classic rock. I think that's kind of the 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 myth that I, I get as a rock guitar player. Yeah. I gravitate definitely more towards other genres. I just really like that late 60s, the idea that you could bring a lot of energy um, and improvise and change the harmony and be experimental. Right. I really like that idea. Um, a lot of music past the Zeppelin that I like starts to become more through composed. And, and I, I really like music that if it's going to be specific, I really like it to be like highly specific. So a lot of the music that I gravitated towards after Led Zeppelin was high energy, uh, 80s underground thrash metal. So not yeah. the Bon Jovi, not the, um, the stuff that was on the radio at the time. I really liked the underground for, for those who haven't listened to a lot of it or have heard like a little bit of Metallica. The thrash in the 80s is the combination of like all of that cheese ball 70s 
um, metal of like Judas Priest and like some of that Sabbath stuff and um, Iron Maiden and combine that with all of the underground punk that was going on, like Black Flag at the time and being like, yeah. hey, we're going to play really fast, but then have all these elements of like classical music that we're bringing in and harmony. And I love that idea of like, hey, we're going to play as fast as humanly possible, but we're also going to be like trying to incorporate different harmony and different energy and and like the more metal side of it yeah so i played a lot of that growing up too and it's weird i I don't i don't practice to a metronome for any of like the the speed stuff and it definitely affected it but i think there is a lot of validity when you're first getting into music to not practicing with a metronome especially if the music is like highly technical yeah because then all of a sudden like you lose this a lot of the music that's highly technical has the spirit to it and if you just kind of approach it from just like oh it's got to be tight it's got to be this you lose that like yeah metallica's a little sloppy like slayer's super sloppy like that's what makes it cool like they're just like four dudes who just like practiced a whole bunch and like and wanted to play as fast as possible and just slammed on their instruments and and just out practice and yeah. better and better yeah and then when everybody else started dropping off they cared more than other people and they invested more and that's how they got there yeah. like uh, and then of course, you know, lucky with public with publicity and they had, but, no, but a lot of it yeah. just is just a lot of hard work. And with, with genres of music that are like underground, like especially lead, lead guitar, you feel like you have to, and drums, you have to like play everything to a metronome if you want to get super precise. And I think you can actually develop a lot of technique by just exclusively listening to a genre of music. Well, and especially, I also think, um, it depends on the time frame of the music you're listening to there uh, just I'm just going to bring it up now because if you can't hear it in the background someone's been aggressively trying to call us as we're having this podcast so now I'm going to take sweet pleasure in ignoring the phone call I think calls. it's a major third yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it's C and E if somebody listens to this please uh, and maybe I'll check it but I kind of don't want to if somebody listens send to in this, your votes yeah <laughs> um, with the interval and the pitches if I'm right too then uh Everybody's got to go back and re-listen to this one. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what I'm laying on the line. Some Jeopardy style, final Jeopardy. Um, but I, yeah, I do think it's great. The ability to do that. Like we grew up in a time where that was, I think that's easier to do. What you were talking about of, um, you don't have to practice necessarily with a metronome. You can have also the recordings as reference because so many of the people we listen to started going in and recording with metronomes that when you're playing along with the people you love and you're doing the things you love, you're inherently playing with a metronome yeah, without, yeah, yeah. but, but before our generations, when things were not recorded with a click, um, I, you know, I think that was, that's where it, the game kind of changed. And I feel like, you know, seventies were that transitional 70s, music period. Seventies. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I didn't like a lot of that music because in the 80s, things kind of, for better or for worse, became the most extreme they could be. That's why the 90s was such a drastic flip. Yeah, oh yeah. And I think that's why that music is what it is. And I'm okay with with like highly involved music. Um, I'd rather that um, than have something just recorded to a metronome that should be groove and should lo- be loose. You know, like you go back and you listen to September, which is the famous recording, uh, and that thing speeds up like crazy. Yeah. You know, all of these recordings, if you're going to do something like that, I'd rather not with a click. Um, you can develop it. I think, too, I came in the, I love the era I came up in. 
when I started playing, YouTube just became a thing. And so there was nothing like banned on YouTube as far as like Warner Brothers doesn't want this Metallica oh, yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. So it was like the wild, wild west. It was equivalent to like when we had Napster and LimeWire. And so I was learning songs like crazy because I could be like, oh, like I've never heard of this Metallica song before. Like yeah. I've never. And so that was so cool. I'm a big advocate for the internet because of that reason. I don't, I can't tell you if I would have still gotten those CDs or if I would have gotten those records. I don't know, but I do know it did happen because of the internet for me right. that time. Right. Um, so ironically, my, so my dad being a sound engineer, he was a, we always, I only realize this now looking back, we had gadgets, like mm -hmm. sound gadgets. It didn't matter if it was the more popular ones. It only mattered if they were interesting. So like, I remember getting, which now I know was actually pretty high end for the time, but I didn't realize it was like, I always, the Walkman, Sony, um, that could like, you could like throw it across the room and put it underwater and they came in like bright yellow and like highlighter purple and all these crazy colors. And, uh, I always had like weird things like that, but it wasn't always the most current. Like I'd also have, uh, do you remember the super duper mini discs? No, no. Most people don't No. They were a total, um, staple in our house everywhere. Okay. You, so imagine if CDs went through a period where there were like a hybrid of like a miniature CD inside a floppy disc and that was a mini CD and okay. that would be, you could put like, I don't know. I don't know. You could put all kinds of information. Actually, I think technically that concept is what they started. Like, you know, the old um, iPods now that you could stack with songs yep. and they were really popular. They had the dial yep. and yeah, then yeah. they went away. And now when you try to buy one again, they're actually really expensive because they hold up really well over time. Yeah. Well, apparently on the inside of those is like these tiny little mini discs that all the songs are written to. So they're pretty cool, but they were not considered cool enough by themselves. So my house was full of weird forms of being able to buy and transfer music and have recorded music. And it was, it was a very weird time to, because the, it was, it was such a weird combination of like, you'd find one of dad's mini discs sitting around and it would have like some blues some 60s some local bands and as a kid I had no idea I'm like oh yeah that that band on that mini disc thinking that everything came from the same place I didn't know you just pop it in and play and it really skewed my concept I think of what one band should sound like <laughs> because it was like oh yeah all these songs belong to that same person go so when did you notice your tastes start to change like into the like into adulthood when did you notice that things started to change or did they yeah no they did um uh, i think eighth grade maybe eighth grade eighth grade freshman year i definitely that's when i started diving into like my much darker taste in heavy rock music mm -hmm. um my my husband says it scares him when I start listening to the music it says it creeps him out which is um something that I've always found I, the the heaviness and the darkness of it I've loved that sound that started then and now of course I was a 
angsty teen and that was cathartic um but I think the storytelling like I've said this before I love to read um so the storytelling that I used to hear all the time when I was younger when you know these sort of folk Celtic bands would get up and tell their stories and then play and tell their stories and then play again and then um my love of reading would then lead me to bands that had interesting lyric artsy storytelling Mm -hmm. and um I would find that even in a lot of like the the heavier gungier music the music I'd gravitate toward in that category would be the ones that had really interesting uh lyrical development that captured a moment and that's that's probably right when that started was like freshman year lyrics that captured a moment in time uh, one feeling in time and that's held I mean I think that still applies to the music that I tend to listen to and go ooh, that really creates a space that creates a, a snapshot yeah that makes sense I just remember being like Middle school is like that period around eighth grade. I've noticed that for our, us, seventh, eighth grade, freshman year is when our students start to be able to like, they find something. They yeah. find something that's that's theirs. Yeah. And so that, yeah. I remember learning a bunch of theory starting freshman year. It's when I started taking guitar lessons with um, my teacher through high school and early college, um, Andrew. Um, and I just remember like learning heat. I wanted to learn a bunch of theory and have a bunch of technique and be able to do all these crazy things. Cause all my heroes were at that point were like, uh, all of these crazy underground eighties guys. And for anybody who listened to like eighties music knows that the guitar is like way over the top. And I wanted to be able to like replicate that with my own weird sounds. And I just kind of took it for granted that it was like, Oh, everybody dives in. Everybody knows all this stuff, everybody. And it's kind of like a guitar player thing. I feel like guitar players get, up up the theory wazoo pretty easily especially in metal or jazz piano players too. piano players any yeah and then later on as you as they take it like it to the next level saxophone players yep saxophone yep. players will stack harmony on top of harmony like crazy yeah. um and then i distinctly remember at 17 um the girl i've been dating for about a year uh i had a big heartbreak uh and i was hanging out with my friends at the park playing some guitar and then one of my buddies at the time, Gwillem, got was getting into like Jimi Hendrix, and I rediscovered my love for all of those '60s bands at about 17, and I started playing along, and I'd be like, I could like rip through I'd, an obnoxious amount of metal repertoire, but I was like, you know, it's just like the pentatonic scale, and and then all of a sudden I was like, I sound like butt on this. <laughs> this is so hard. Like, why is this so difficult? It's just one. A lot of these guys use like one scale. Why is this so hard? And, you know, I didn't start using my ears until I started listening to blues rock again. Interesting. Because metal was so hard to grab by ear. A lot of it is was not recorded well, and it's not always in time. And so when well, you're and also first... it came around more so when the infatuation with starting to compress music came out too. So when you're trying to pick apart instruments, you're like, mm, it all sounds like one big mush of 
something. Yeah, it's like so like Master of Puppets, like that record sounds good for an underground thing, but not everything is Master of Puppets. Yeah. Um and so I had my guitar teacher show me some stuff where I was big on learning stuff with tabs or anything and then I discovered blues rock again and I was like, "Oh, so I could learn Foxy Lady by ear." You know, I could yeah. grab a couple of those licks like I I have enough skill and that like changed the game. Once you can start like once once I started learning stuff by ear, then like the music I like changed drastically around 17, 18, 19. It was a pretty massive yeah. flip. I was like I went from being like really angsty to like overconfident, which is like all 17, 18, 19 year olds. Yeah, like, so you were right on schedule I then? Was, yeah. 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 And uh and so that changed because it went from me being like, I'm angsty, I wanna play like a lot of music with a lot of like high energy to being like, I'm like a killer guitar player, like why, and my band's awesome. Like, watch us improvise. We're going to create stuff on the spot. Like, we have a lot yeah. of energy. We can, like, yeah. we're really, we're all, and it was all about pushing our our technique on the instrument and what music we created to the absolute limit. Um, mostly because we could. So, there was a, an interesting thing that I realized. I've always been told by anybody who starts asking me about music taste that I have a really random taste in music what they think I'm gonna like I end up not liking at all and then something that they're they're like nah yeah you're not interested in this it's like oh that's really cool I like that um and I had no idea I just kept thinking like you guys just don't understand what I like in music obviously but I saw if anybody has been inside, it's a local music venue. It's Boneheads. Mm -hmm. And they have the um, uh, rock and roll history music chart, essentially, on this, like, the tree of, of rock styles as they branch off and lead into each other. And um, obviously, it's not every band. They just put three question marks underneath jazz. Which is just like... Did was, they? Yeah, was Google searching jazz too hard? That's awesome. Uh, I didn't even notice yeah, that. Yeah, so... I was... No, but I was standing great there. Great venue otherwise, but... Yeah, I was just. I was sitting... I was looking and I was like, oh, I like that band. Oh, I like that band. And I, I realized I'm pointing at like, oh, okay, here's that branch of the tree and here's that branch of the tree. But then I'm looking at the other names that they have listed with the one that I like. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't like any of those. And pointing out another one it's like oh i like that band i don't like any of those that are with it though and oh i like and i was like ah oh, it's that random it's totally that random and i don't know if it ties into the the lyrical development i don't know if it ties into i'm big into uh like soundscaping mm -hmm. so because of that like snapshot in time even when i when i write um not music when i just write personal essays this and that um it's my goal is always to like capture a moment what does this feel like can I capture like this this 30 minute period in someone's life accurately enough to make somebody else feel what it's like to be in that 30 minutes even if they've never experienced that particular moment um and I love that I'm fixated with that because I think that's that's really how you get to take in other people sometimes is like that that small detail experience and I don't know if that's what it is that ties some of those moments together but people like uh Regina Spector who I love the lyric content of hers and even um 
her composing piano wise it's very um indicative of the feeling of the song not necessarily because of the harmony but the the overall the overall package um can be very playful can be very serious can be very haunting and same thing with like the fiona apples or uh even some of that new wavy punk which is like it captures it's not a song that starts in one place and then develops and goes someplace else it like takes you and it like sits in this moment and and tries to capture this the full experience of what that feeling is not starting you in this feeling and going okay you felt that now now you're gonna end up somewhere else because that's life because it's not always life and I think that that I find really inspiring Frank Zappa I think does that really well too which is like here's my concept and then as crazy as a song can be I'm just still sitting in this concept for the entire length of this song and I, I think I just really like that all right so give me like let's let's start spitballing like top 10 on the instrument in no particular order wait on my instrument my yeah voice. so the voice oh uh, so we'll go one we'll, all right i love them so this is perfect well <laughs> the audience will be okay with it i hope you're you're in between love and hate for while we do this can we not do top 10 can we do top five okay yeah so top 10 it is no <laughs> uh, all right i'm just gonna stop at five so you can count them each twice one of the big ones that like changed the game too was was Dwayne Allman. My father used to play Layla and other assorted love songs for me all the time. The album, which Dwayne and Eric Clapton are on, and then I listened to Live at Fillmore East religiously. And it's that same concept of like, I don't like a lot of jam bands. Uh, I don't. Uh, I I think a lot of jam bands. I feel like I know the arc of the song. Yeah. And that stinks. And when I listen to the Allman Brothers. I'm like, okay, cool. Like you've got a lot of, they're bluesier than the other bands. They're grittier. Greg Allman can really sing. The other problem with jam bands that nobody likes is they, nobody can sing. Greg Allman could actually really belt it. Right. And he has some, so I love, Dickie Betts is pretty good, but I love Dwayne Allman because a lot of jam bands would be like, we're pacing ourselves. We're going for it. And he'd be like, nah, man, we're in right now. Like, let's go. And he would just take the song and you'd be like, wow. We're at a lot of intensity. A lot of the stuff I would teach, I probably wouldn't have started out of the gate there. He's like, nope. Because he just seemed to have more than everybody else. Interesting. Which is, what? I said interesting. Yeah, like he could, you know, when you know, we have a lot of people that we see or what we do and we watch and you start a solo high energy and you're like, ooh, you can't, you can't take that to another place. Right. You should you have started. Yeah. It or you can't, yeah. And he would just be like, no, I actually can go a lot higher in energy than this. And this is just, or my just a natural lot of state. other places too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so he would bring it way down too. after he would go. And you know, a lot of arcs feel like they go low, 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 high. Low, low, low. And he would just be like, nope, we're starting real high up, real high up. And then I'm going to like pitfall you right down. Yeah. And then we're not going to take forever. We're going to sit in the low and then I'm going to bring you right back. And he would create this unusual roller coaster when he improvised all while still playing a melody and like not this traditional, like, he would play a phrase, but then he'd twist it. He'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but also you didn't expect this, but it's not random. It's just, it's, you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, well, I could play all those licks. A lot of guys I like, I could play that. But the why, 
I can't give you the why. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I could play it. You want to put me in that environment? I could learn it. I could teach it. I could do it. But the why you did that is still a little tough. Yeah. So he was a guy that continuously, once every couple months, I'll put on the first seven, eight whip, minutes of whipping post. And I'm just like, this is like a, a clinic on how to play a guitar solo. That's awesome. Yeah. So. All right. So my, I think probably my number one, which is sad because I'll never be able to replicate him in the slightest is Black Francis. Love Black Francis, who is of the Pixies. If you don't know that, you're fired. Everybody who's listening. But I <laughs> love, um, he's hyper expressive in very much the same way that uh, he can be very uh, Lou Reedish in terms of his sort of monotone lyrical splaying like he's almost talking at you vaguely on some kind of pitch um but then highly aggressive um barking squealing grungy um and i i think what he does he does minimally in in all the right places and he just knows how to accent um accent in a place that's a little surprising but also again not out of place it's like oh that totally makes sense if you're trying to go to elicit this this feeling of uh uh jarred that jarred sensation um yeah i love him i love him deeply and also because when you look at him you just don't expect him to be a front man as well so when you put his voice together with him on stage with a guitar it's just like Oh, yeah, all around. It's just all good. So I get into a one-on-one. -on -one. Every time I hang out with John Fernandes, we always seem to be going guitar player rankings, which is a lot of fun. But I get into it with him because I'll still hold that, like, my all-time favorite and the best guitar player is still Jimmy Page. Because a lot of people will take into a lot of soloing, but they forget that, like, Try to find me one person who hasn't heard Cashmere and knows what Cashmere sounds like. Yeah. That's incredible. Like, we know a lot of Jimi Hendrix and we know Purple Haze, but, like, I bet if I started listing off Zeppelin songs, like, people would be like, oh, I know what that one sounds like. Yeah. And he just created the riff. Like, he is the master. Like, Heartbreaker? People have heard Heartbreaker. Dazed and Confused. Yeah. People know the start of Stairway to Heaven. Like, you could just, Cashmere, you could just keep listing them off. Like, what that man did for the instrument, for all of us, is... I mean, yeah, he's super sloppy, and uh, but like he, he kind of just changed the game. He and he also took a lot of chances. He played in all these weird tunings. He had the all the acoustic stuff. He would play thirteen minute songs, and he didn't care. Like, yeah, and and everything he did was iconic. I don't think there's a band on classic rock radio as much as Led Zeppelin, or on a band on radio as much as Led Zeppelin, because you could play everything. You could play immigrant song. I mean, I feel like ACDC might. ACDC is yeah. up there too. Yeah. <laughs> ACDC is up there, but ACDC doesn't have doesn't play with the same colors that Led Zeppelin does by choice. No, yeah, they've got a good good they set got of it. colors. They but, have black and white. Yeah, and that's really cool. <laughs> it works if you do it and people enjoy it and you enjoy it. But yeah, Jimmy Page like kind of changed the game in every aspect. I also feel like every part of Jimmy Page is playing just like drips with emotion. Yeah, like he's not the cleanest player. But when you hear him start to do like 
take his time with bends and everything. Yeah. He also, uh, in an age where everybody has plays 16th notes right on the grid for guitar players, and we do, and we play like the same pentatonic licks because we do, and, and we we all kind of blend together. He broke the grid. He was loose. He would stretch. He would be emotive. He would be a little out of tune. He'd be pitchy. His tone would be a little snappy. Like it was, it was imperfect, but it wasn't like he was like trying to make a statement by it. It was just, it was no, just No, it was him. just part of yeah. his honest emotional statement, he was which just, is different. He was just on another level where he didn't need all that other stuff. And yeah, all that, all that Zeppelin stuff, it's tough. There's like not a lot of songs by Zeppelin that sound the same. Like there's a lot of like rock tunes I feel like, but there's a, a lot of tunes that if you like listen to them a couple of times, you're like, oh that is that is quite different. Yeah, it's kind of like the late stage Beatles in that way. You know, I think it's hard for singers because people tend to equate um, emotion with noise, which like in this like black francis situation that's that's i mean he's noisy he's growly he's screamy like he can convey a lot there which is tough if you're a female singer because generally your your throat doesn't hold up as well as a male vocalist in that scenario i'm not sure if it's i'm not sure what the difference is there because the anatomy is not drastically different when it comes to singing but they just don't tend to hold up as well when they start going in that in that direction vocally so one of the people i love because they are very expressive without going there is is regina specter and i don't have you have you listened to her much not a lot so she does it in a in a very vocal friendly way for women because you know you don't to be intense she's not growling at you she's not like choking she's not doing anything um that would be potentially detrimental from a technique standpoint but she's hyper personal in her vocal presentation and i've seen her live a couple times and it's incredible to see her do it live especially in big venues um you know obviously not like Gillette Stadium status but if you think of like House of Blues and decent sized venues which it's hard to be personal sometimes with your audience once you get there um and she's intimate everything's like right here and she sometimes is singing here and obviously you know has a great sound man that knows how to set everything for her to capture these intimate moments but the colors of her voice are all over the map and she has songs that are completely innocent and sweet songs that are aggressive and angry songs that take you up and down this roller coaster um and she's also another one who's just a great lyricist so her storytelling is off the chain in that like uh like Joni Mitchell style of storytelling where it's it's weirdly specific in some ways what she talks about but then you can come out of it and you're like, oh, wow, that applies to so many life situations, even though technically it just you've taken something specific and it's become the metaphor for so many other things. She's really wonderful for that. So we're about to get into it on Vaguely Music, too. We're about to get into the 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 argument. Ah, right here. <laughs> so one of the people that really messed me up was John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Ah, uh, yes, um, because. And not actually any of the funk stuff. I like I 
despise the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they try to play funk. I thought you were just going to say I despise the Red Hot no. Chili Peppers. And I was like, oh, cool. We're done. No. We're good. And I actually really don't like Anthony Kiedis a lot, too. Yeah. I think John Frusciante's background vocals are like on the later stage stuff, like mess with me hard. And the way he would play guitar, especially a guitar solo, was just the exact opposite of what I would play at, at 19. And so yeah. when the singer of the band I was in got me into the Chili Peppers, I like learned everything, like note for note, like albums, all the little texture parts front to back. But none of it's like seeped in. And it took a, a while and it's still like it's, you know, it's a daily struggle because it's like you hear what you hear, but you want to like you want to adapt it. Yeah, to, you know, yeah. you want to be some you want to be a better version. Um, but that messed with me hard because I'd grown up playing like a lot of metal and a lot of improvising. And then as I got older, I was like, I can improvise over all these chord changes like I can do all this stuff. Like, let's dive in like I, I can do all of this. And then John Frusciante was just like. No, like I do it like with with nothing, like I don't, like there's nothing there, and it's like yeah, but you can, and it's like yeah, but I don't, and like he, it just it it changed the game super hard. Uh, all those like late Chili Peppers albums, uh, by the way, Stadium Arcade. I didn't really like Californication that much. I really like by the way, and um, Stadium Arcadium. Those are like. Because he would layer like seventy thousand background vocals and all these textures and and the, you know his guitar solos would be like this clean little thing that's completely out of time and he'd be like oh I would have never I, w I would never do that and it was like but why would I you know why did this I think it's really important to know why you don't like things yeah sometimes the things you don't like are actually the things you're gonna end up loving I hated Metallica when I first heard them I was like this is just noise and then I loved it like. Yeah. Sometimes the stuff you don't like, you end up never liking. Yeah. But knowing why you don't like things and not just like giving like a, a kickback answer to defend your pride, but genuinely being like, no, it's not for me because I'm not into like X, Y and Z. Yeah, that's I mean, I feel the Chili Peppers and Dave Matthews band fall in the same category for me of I can't stand those voices. So Boston is a big one for me. When Boston comes in, I'm just like, I just, I shut off my radio. Audi McOuts. Yeah. Cause it just, for me, it feels like, it's just like, Hey, can somebody give me some paint by numbers seventies rock? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we can. Yes, we can. We I, got that yeah. for you. I don't like listening to bands where I feel like I could predict the song before it starts. And I had a talk with somebody, one of our students' parents, and he was like, well, dad, that's cause you're a jaded musician. And I was like, that's, that's fair yeah, when you, yeah, when you study absolutely. it at, at a high level and you study form and you study parts and you get all that. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but also, but that's I, I also why you're back. allowed to have a, an, an opinion on music. Cause I mean, right. Studying something allows you to go a little deeper into a genre. I'm qualified. It's not like I'm talking about different types of open heart surgeries. Like I'm qualified. I do this I'm not good all the with time. That one. Thanks. Doc. Yeah. But, but I do, I've always loved bands that gave me a curveball either in form or part or like the melody doesn't go where it goes or the chord you think is about to happen. Like there's a stop, you know, anything that like, or, or sections or anything that makes you feel like you don't know where this is going. Yeah. Is, is awesome. Is awesome. We are coming down to the bewitching time. So is there a certain song right now that you have a fixation with at all? Um, Wow, that's a that's a good question. 
So there's always one by uh, Guthrie Govan, who was a guitar player I got into later, uh, called Nur Nur, which is like this really cool uh, six eight kind of feeling, and then uh, Culture Clash by his band The Aristocrats, because it has this really cool like African. Uh, like Ghanaian drum beat where you know it's like all right we're in four but we're in 12 and it kind of like I like stacking polyrhythms that don't sound like polyrhythms yeah like if I just listen to it I was like oh that's really cool and not like well that's five and that's six. like I don't yeah, want to yeah, yeah. I don't want to purposely count I want to like enjoy I'm like getting into it and all of a sudden I start counting because it's so cool and I want right. to like you know right how about yourself um Weirdly enough, I act, it's a theatrical song. It's a it's a music theater piece, and I think it's from a show. I came across it years ago from a student who brought it in as a solo piece, but it's actually a duet. Um, really beautiful. It's called "Flight" by Craig Cornelia, I believe is his last name. Um, but it's it's like a this gorgeous uh, duet arrangement between an alto and a soprano, essentially, and. Uh, it's worth checking out. There's a really great YouTube video of it, of two girls doing a phenomenal thing. But again, it's one of those, you know, capture a moment kind of theatrical pieces uh, without being totally cheesy, which is my normal conundrum with theater. Yeah. And I, I still can't get the Venga Boys out of my head, too. Yeah, so. no, I was playing that today. <laughs> All, right. All right. We are at that time. We thank you. For joining us on this bewitching journey. Wow, Ryan's ready to bounce out of here. Yeah. We will s- talk to you. I always <laughs> want to say see. I always want to say see. We will talk to you next time for our final episode of season one of Vaguely Music. For those of you that have been with us since the beginning, we hope you enjoy this and then our last episode. We'll see you next time.